the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 395. I'm Paul Spain. I'm C.B. Woodhouse. And I'm Darcy Ungaro. Welcome along to the show, guys. Uh, great to have you back, CB. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for being back. Uh, it's amazing to hear that you've done 395 episodes. We, we, guessed. We're <laughs> stacking them up. Um, now, maybe you can remind uh, listeners that i um, not sure where you fit into this world of tech, where, where you do uh, I fit am in. an old tech person these days. Uh, I used to be the uh, owner-founder of Orcon, uh, and... Many people will know that, one of New Zealand's biggest internet providers. And these days I have another internet company called Voyager. Uh, we have about a 1% to a 2% market share in the New Zealand broadband space and a 20% market share in domain names and hosting. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to having a, a catch up around uh, what's happening uh, with Voyager later on in the show. And uh, Darcy, maybe a, a little intro from yourself. Now, mm. you're also not uh, not new to the New Zealand Tech Podcast because you were on uh, second time a, a little while ago. We were talking about uh, cryptocurrencies and, yes. and and the like. My but probationary period has finished. <laughs> I'm now allowed back on the show once every once every three months. So I am a financial advisor, but we also have a show that I head up called the NZ Everyday Investor, which is gone live now. We're, we're yesterday. The newest, yes. the newest podcast, NZ uh, yeah. podcast. The, that's yep. right. We are the run to the week. litter currently, but we're growing. We're <laughs> up to episode, we're recording episode eight, I think this week. So we've got seven already. We've had an amazing diversity of, of guests so far. But the whole overarching theme is it's all about growing wealth, about redefining what wealth is, and then talking about how to actually grow that. Well, I think so probably awesome. uh, there'd be a few people that are, that are interested in uh, having their wealth grow rather than shrink. So it's yeah. probably a, a re- reasonably relevant, yeah. uh, relevant topic. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's, let's get straight in. So a couple of little uh, local news items that uh, caught my interest. Um, Orion Health are uh, selling a, a big chunk of the profitable uh, parts of their business across a couple of deals and uh, ends up being something like um, 225 million in terms of uh, what what they're selling which is uh, is fascinating because you know they've been through up ups and downs as, as a business uh, I think they've been around now for uh, for 25 years and you know look it's it's been a yeah it's been a pretty uh, successful story overall but the the share price has certainly uh lagged in recent recent times and uh yeah this news has certainly helped given them a a, a nice uh, uptick there uh but it does mean that they're uh, they're sort of selling their their crown jewels in a way um some pretty key parts of their um business Have any thoughts on this one see me uh well um, taking off my technology hat and putting on my investor hat or both, uh, I personally think that there's going to be a big recession sometime soon, um, a big global slowdown slash crash. And so um, from the perspective that they've taken some money off the table, I think that's probably a smart thing to do. I've, I've kind of done a similar strategy myself, sold down some commercial property, sold my big house that I used to have on the shore, um, and I've been waiting for... Um, yeah, 12 to 18 months, that's been my sort of theory that the market's going to turn south. Um, 
I've got my reasons for that. We can delve into it if I've got time. But um, that, that I, might I be perfect probably, for Darcy's yeah, podcast. I think it's probably a, I think it's probably a, <laughs> a smart wait, thing to do. <laughs> Well, tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, I think it'll be the I think it'll be the biggest buying opportunity that we've had. But it could be very bad. You know, we could obviously when when uh, you know the global economy turns south, there's a higher and you know risk of war and that kind of thing. But I think we've got um, you know GFC times four uh, waiting in the wings about to happen at some point. So I don't know whether you agree with me on that, but I can explain my I can explain my thinking why You're if anyone's me interested. Out though, CB, so. Please put me at ease. Well, you can't really put me at ease when you say it's GFC no, times well, four. I mean, I don't know how much time we have, but I can go into detail about why I think we have. But it's obviously a, you know. Well, maybe we'll we'll swing back around on that at the end that if we've got really time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, people will be. We, um, I'll remind yeah, you if we cur- forget. curious yeah, on uh, on on those uh, on those thoughts. Um, the the other um, so pivoting from that one across to a, a much smaller uh, company and in, in the scheme of things, a much uh, younger is uh, Mellon Health. And um, we're we're going to um, uh, try and uh, find find the right uh, timing to have um, the founder of Mellon Health come on the show, uh, Shaborn Bulfin, um, in the in the future. So we've been chatting to her um, briefly this afternoon, and uh, she's she's keen to uh, to do that. But what was reported by NBR today is they're looking to do an initial uh, or an additional sort of fundraise, about three to five uh, million, and that they seem to be uh, growing quite well. Um, which I'm I'm uh, quite uh, uh, ple- pleased about because um, I have a small holding with uh, Punakaiki Fund, who uh, who happens to invest it a little little bit in uh, uh, in Mellon Health. But the bit that sort of caught my interest because I haven't delved in um, too deep into what um, yeah Mellon Health have been doing or or their clients uh, previously. But um, one of their their clients is a company called Oscar, who are involved in. Uh, Health insurance in in the US, and uh, you know they they really uh, look to be leveraging some of Mellon Health's uh, technology. And and when you when you look at what uh, Mellon Health uh, do, uh, you know it's really around uh, software to help people that have got you know, various uh, various health uh, challenges. You know dealing with. Uh, chronic disease management and and prevention and so they've got you know all these elements that uh, that that help with that uh, facilitating peer support behavior change um, handling patient engagement when um, um, yeah people aren't necessarily uh, at a at a health clinic um, providing family and and caregiver uh, support um, and then the bit which i'm I'm guessing that Oscar uh, in the us are, are using as a health insurer um, and I haven't I'm not sure that I've connected these dots right but it was certainly the bit that jumped out when I hit Oscar Oscar's uh, website at highoscar.com is the section that says doctor on call talk to a doctor for free in 15 minutes 24 7 that seems to me like just a game changer from a healthcare mm. perspective and we've talked about these sorts of things coming and look you know the the, the whole healthcare game is going to change ai is going to change things um telehealth or remote health is going to change things but 
we haven't noticed a lot of it certainly here here in New Zealand in terms of well you know even if you've got a, a flu or something you still have to either make an appointment with your doctor or go in and queue up and it, it's just it's just not that great and the idea of being able to uh, yeah just just tap into a doctor and you know I'm presuming this is if if you're uh, if you you know if you're signed up uh, with Oscar as a uh, as a health insurer that you get this hey wait 15 minutes and away you go you can have a uh, sort of virtual appointment with uh, with, a, a, with, a, with a doctor um, yeah I'm, I'm not yeah, I'm not so sure much. about um, mm. you know we, we should be waving your phone no that's right um, and uh, you know what, what, <laughs> but um, um, yeah not a, not a great picture that one does sorry yeah um, I apologize but yeah it seems to me like uh, you know a, a smart a smart thing to be offering and I'd certainly like to uh, like to see it in, in New Zealand mm. Yeah, I mean, we have the infrastructure for it. Um, you know, New Zealanders are good at complaining about broadband infrastructure, but actually, you know, we're way ahead of Australia and the NBN over there is, uh, you know, nowhere near as good, I think, as what, um, you know, New Zealand's achieved. And even, um, I live in America half the time now, and um, the broadband infrastructure there is not what people think. It's not as good as what people think. So, um, you know, e-health and, and telehealth would be one of the first things that you'd think would be an easy cab off the rank, but of course that infrastructure has to be has to be built. But I think uh, I think it will be one of the one of the benefits now that everyone's well not everyone's but a lot of people have got fibre and um, you know things like five G coming and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, why don't we have e health? That's just dial up your doctor and it's uh, you know provided by the government. But it'll it'll come. Yeah, and look, looking at uh, Oscar, it looks like they're they're reasonably early on in their journey as well. And uh, you know, one of the things on their homepage is they're expanding their coverage to six new markets so uh, next year, and so they're really just getting started. Which you know, of course, for Melon Health is is quite good if they can plug in with a with a trendy growing um, uh, insurer like uh, like Oscar, then they can uh, you know certainly um, you know ride the back of that one. It must, it must uh, be in everybody's best interest though as well that let's just template some of this medical advice that everyone's going to ask like if you present with these conditions is a pretty obvious answer so as long as there's somebody checking it every now and then why not and and look yeah so there's that aspect of being able to get yeah get that help over a, a video call get the you know digital um assistance um the AI side of it, I think, is yeah, that, it's just a it's a natural expectation, isn't it? I think we we sort of have that expectation that it won't be too long before you can get Dr. maybe Siri. A, maybe a better answer than Doctor Google, right? That we re, sort of tend to rely on these days. Oh, I'm feeling this. What does you know? What does Google say? But we actually got uh, an AI engine that's taking all of the data, looking at your existing health records. And and is able to yeah really do a do a better job than than a person, but kind kind of hard to know you know what length of time that takes to be completely accessible, completely mainstream, yeah. maybe you know provided by a, a national uh, you know health provider or you know state state provider. Um, CB, you've had some experience on the the front of the the um, you know technological side of healthcare in the US, haven't you? Yeah. Um so I went to the uh, Abundance 360 
conference uh, which is run by Peter Diamandis and Ray Kurzweil so Ray Kurzweil is the sort of world's most um, you know foremost futurist and um, the Abundance 360 program is kind of a 25 year program it's in year 6 out of 25 at the moment to um, take 360 CEOs which I was lucky enough to get a seat on um, as a kind of a worldwide group of entrepreneurs towards the singularity and the singularity is that point point when you kind of have artificial intelligence that's as good as human intelligence and what are we going to do and how is it going to get there so one of the people um, that's a member is Craig Venter who was the first person to sequence the human genome um, and that cost I think a billion dollars or more maybe several billion dollars and took you know 10 years and that kind of thing um craig's a fairly uh you know um crinkly cantankerous kind of guy and so um i think he got kicked out of uh, solera genomics or whatever which was his first company and then he started this new company which is um human uh, longevity inc and um they have a program called the health nucleus uh it used to be twenty five thousand dollars um but with rapid economies of scale, as as you know, sequencing the genome has gone from a billion dollars to a hundred dollars. Um, now the health nucleus has gone from twenty five thousand dollars when it was launched about eighteen months ago to five thousand dollars already, and. Um, what they do is they have a facility in San Diego you go in for 24 hours and they do every single kind of health test known to man and generate 250 gigabytes of data about you know your body so they tell you what your allergies are they sequence your you know your genome they tell you what your genetic predispositions are they tell you you know they can test your partner to say whether you're likely to have a kid that's got you know Asperger's or whatever um they do an MRI scan of your body so they can detect cancer, anything, any cancer that's bigger than a millimetre in your body. They can tell you whether it's there, whether it's dormant, what's happening to it. Um, so it's this very, it's a little bit scary because you think, oh, is there maybe something wrong that I'm going to find out about? But um, 2% of the people that they scan have already got cancer that they then, um, you know, detect and prevent. Um, they've prevented many heart attacks, aneurysms, all kinds of things because they can actually image the blood vessels in your body all, way, all the way down to sort of half a millimetre. So, you know, um, people that are about to have a stroke often have quite a distended, um, you know, blood vessel in their brains or whatever. Mm. So they can say, oh, there's a problem here. Let's go in and operate and fix it. So it's um, sort of hyper-preventative medicine and um, the whole facility is basically like Star Trek. You know, everyone's la- white lab coat it's all fingerprint done they have you know 10 of the newest MRI machines and because they're running them 24 hours a day they're able to get those economies of scale down so it's interesting because you know in the US people have heard those horror stories about going into a hospital and getting a hundred thousand dollar bill for a band-aid and indeed the US health system in general is very problematic but you know um, health human longevity inc kind of has gone the other way of like scaling up you know the whole dot-com model of get enough people through and it's becoming more and more popular and they have a referral program and you know all that kind of thing um but it's certainly really really interesting and i have you know a customized iphone app that has access to like a 3d model of my body and it tells me you know foods that specifically for me i should eat or i shouldn't eat um you know and what's good for me might not be um, good for someone else so it's really really super personalized health not just kind of general health about you know here's the food pyramid or here's you know whatever but you know your ancestors couldn't eat this and so you know you can't kind of thing um yeah, very, very interesting. And it's nice peace of mind when they tell you, okay, everything's pretty much okay. You're not um, dying. 
Yeah, not at the moment. Yeah. yeah, I've had my share of health issues, but at the moment I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's pretty cool. And look, with that huge base of data, just imagine if if there was that much data for um, uh, for everyone, if everyone already had that. But I think you know, in the future, that that's going to be the state, isn't it? We we're going to there's going to be um, yeah, lots and lots of data about each of us, and there'll mm. be you know new and improved AI algorithms sort of you know coming along all the time that will be able to you know help us know what's coming down the track uh, or if we're you know if we're feeling a bit off put all that data together and yeah and in theory give us a better diagnosis than uh, than a doctor that I mean you've got to imagine that would be the case with all that amount of data uh, that AI should be able to do better than uh, doctors. Sorry to any doctors listening. Um, I think yeah, we've well, still got that jobs for, uh, for a fair time to come. To go into, <laughs> it's one of the things I sort of forgot to go into detail with, but part of the reason of the economies of scale is that um, they are using, you know, Watson-style or Watson-based, you know, AI, which is the IBM, you know, kind of virtual doctor. Um and because they're gathering 250 gigabytes of data on every person and, and not necessarily everyone is healthy, although it is based on preventative medicine. Um, and then, of course, when people have done their um, you know data gathering and then they subsequently get sick, then they're able to say, well, we had this data about you know someone and then they develop this system. So they're actually, um, you know, they have one of the biggest data sets in the world on all kinds of diseases and so that's then helping them predict things that haven't been previously correlated so you know you might have a you might have a um, you know a specific type of bug in your system and um, they've actually discovered that you know that bug causes the inflammation that causes you know I don't think it was them but you know there was one that was like they, they're, they're finding out that um, you know your intestinal bugs are actually related to things like heart disease and it's now well known that if you have um, you know gingivitis or gum disease that's actually related heart disease because um, you know if you have bugs getting into your system into your blood then that can actually cause you know deterioration of your heart so um, there's all these things that weren't previously correlated that they're starting to correlate and then of course they're constantly feeding that back so yeah one of the things is that um, I think it got to the stage last year where breast cancer screening is now done better by tuned AI than than people Um, and so um, yeah, Human Longevity Inc. When they're doing, uh, you know, identification of uh, of cancers, it's basically all being done by AI, and that's what's allowing them to get those economies of scale from, you know, twenty five thousand dollars for initially when they were, you know, having to go through all of the reports manually. That now the system's being tuned. It's kind of a, you know, they are relying on computers a lot, but they do have a very good, um, you know, correct non correct rate. I suppose there's always going to be errors, but you know. Yeah, well, and and look, we have human error as well, right? And I guess you know we look at AI getting involved in um, yeah autonomous vehicles and so on. You know, that's a that's a journey. All all these things um, better tend tend to be that way, and there'll be a, you know a period, I guess, uh, for you know probably a reasonable period of time where the the AI is there to really assist the medical professionals rather than just to replace them right it's, a, it's, it's a, quite cool yeah, though part the, of the mix. when you look when you look at the so there's health then there's banking and insurance and in all those areas it seems like the ai piece seems to be the great aligner in terms of a line because no one wants to get sick no one wants to be poor no one wants to have to claim on their insurance the insurance companies don't want to pay out either 
but the common link is well if there's something else going on to help people uh, meet these objectives then it's a win-win everybody's gonna gonna benefit in the end eh? i think it's um i think it's fascinating hey hearing all that yeah especially with with that 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 first thing with with oscar because obviously it's in the best interest of the insurance company to know what's going on and how to reduce claims but it's also from the insured perspective as well yeah yeah well i think um you know there'll be there'll be an interesting period ahead as some of these new uh systems become more and more main mainstream and you know i don't think your general yeah, member of the public yet will be spending say you know 5k to uh you know go off and do the test you've had cb um yeah let alone 25k um mm. but over time that sort of thing will come down it'll either become more accessible uh you know through them or or elements of it will become uh accessible much more much more broadly uh and you know the cost of ai i guess you know it's a a software thing and uh yeah early on these pieces can be expensive but over time it just becomes that's just how things are done right so um now talking about AI, uh, one of the US supermarket uh, chains, chains um, Kroger, which I think is the uh, the biggest, is uh, teaming up with uh, a startup called Neuro to basically have a um, autonomous uh, food and grocery delivery um, service. So uh, this is uh, the guys involved in Neuro. Uh, they're uh, they're two people that have come out of um, Google's self-driving uh, uh, vehicle division, and uh, they've been at it for uh, for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, now the the fruits of that are sort of starting to uh, starting to fall into place. And um, you know the idea is to start doing. Uh, grocery deliveries by these little uh, autonomous vehicles now we're not talking uh you know big full-size uh, car um yeah looks looks as though um yeah you'd be able to have a, a few shopping bags for for each customer uh, that this thing would come and um you know bring bring to your door sort of uh, sort of scenario but it's kind of a another taste of where this technology is going and uh, the the bit that's you know probably interesting here is we're starting to see these these in-betweens and we've seen it in um you know in new zealand as well with the shuttle company come the the shuttles um you know and christchurch international airport signed up for them that are autonomous vehicles but they're not designed just to go out on everyday sort of you know full public roads and um yeah this is again another scenario that's a a, a little bit simpler than uh, you know full cars going on the on the street they these things look as though they uh yeah potentially be um be able to you know, drive on 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 uh, footpaths they're certainly not you know full size uh vehicles and i imagine that their usage to start with will be you know reasonably light they won't be doing sort of you know 50k journeys or anything they'll be it's hard to imagine them cruising around some neighborhoods with no footpaths that way because the the photo i saw they were all just on footpaths right yeah yeah quite they're quite small but so um yeah so we'll you know we'll, we'll we'll see what that ends up um you know being being like in in future and look one yeah one of the one of the um pictures had you know somebody uh uh you know i guess dropping the uh the shopping bags in the air it didn't didn't it didn't look like a um 
yeah, I think there was what, four or five sort of doors on the thing, so it could open up. So maybe it can do, you know, um, five five different people's deliveries, and so you know you can fill up one compartment sort of per per home that it goes one or more compartments per home. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that um, you know that sort of stuff will get there eventually. Um, I'm sure there'll be robots that do the last mile between, you know, a delivery truck. And a door, but you know, if you think of how many variations in terms of things like slippery steps and you know, three steps up or up an elevator or you know, whatever, I just don't think robotics and AI is, is there yet to be able to cope with all of the combinations and permutations of getting to someone's door. But um, interestingly, kind of on this home delivery, um, you know, bent, um, yeah, as I said, I live half the time in Los Angeles and it's just been crazy to see the changes that you know has kind of happened there. But you know, every single person I know in Los Angeles has um, you know an Amazon Prime membership, there's more Amazon trucks on the road than there are FedEx, UPS and American Postal Service now. So you see Amazon trucks everywhere just delivering stuff all the time. You don't see so many of the other things. And, um, you know, with a Prime membership that's $70 US a year, you can get an unlimited number of deliveries where they don't charge anything. And most of the time they deliver things for, you know, within two hours and there's no minimum. So, you know, my my flatmate does things like, oh, I, I don't have a highlighter. I'll just order a highlighter for Amazon and it comes and someone delivers it. But, it's a free delivery. You you know, like, it's free delivery. You pay seventy bucks a year. Yeah, pay and seventy dollars a year, and you get unlimited deliveries, and you can deliver as small as you want. So, but the the crazy thing is, is that America in general has this real kind of you know packaging overload and so it just really really stresses me out because if you order like a highlighter you know you'll it'll be in a plastic wrapper that's inside a box inside bubble wrap for no reason other than that's just what americans do inside a thing inside of whatever and then dumped on your door and um you know you can order like tomatoes or whatever off amazon you can order all your groceries off amazon but you know they um, individually they pack everything they pack everything and you know dry ice instead of ice so that it doesn't melt um you know so you get these like little dry ice um you know kind of cubes and then there's like protection stuff so that it doesn't burn your hand if it gets too cold and all this kind of thing but i mean just the amount of the amount of um packaging in america is just ridiculous but anyway i won't go on the packaging the main thing is is just that it's really it's really it's just a totally different way of living in america now compared to new zealand and you know amazon prime's just really made a change and obviously they're talking about drone delivery so from my perspective you know that's kind of here and I think the human based delivery for the last mile is what we'll see first Um, and you know Amazon style uh, logistics where there's you know little depots everywhere that are close to you know so the neighbourhood has a depot so if you're ordering you know food or supplies it gets to you quickly because it's being you know delivered that'll be the first wave and then this you know um, companies like Amazon, you know, trying to save costs on human labor will be the the next thing. Yeah, and look, I'm curious how these things fit together for New Zealand. And we, we were talking about the um, eBay service, I think it's called eBay Plus, where they, last week uh, they've launched in Australia, which is a, a prime style service. You pay the the, the fee. Uh, I think it's probably similar to Amazon Prime. You get it, there's lots of products you can get delivered for free. Um, with that, you've got Amazon over in Australia, although you know, it's nothing like what Amazon are doing in in uh, the US yet. And then, yeah, you know, we've got a few services here in terms of yeah, delivery type options. You've got uh, Lazy As, you've got Uber Eats, but you know, there's not a whole lot. And I think there's some real 
challenges for those global players to come into a market like New Zealand, which creates, yeah, I think, probably some positive opportunities for our local retailers to be able to innovate and to maybe get ahead of it being practical, say, for an Amazon or you know a, a big you know, global player um, who, you know, when you look at something like uh, Netflix or, you know, Uber, they've been able to move quite quickly into the New Zealand market and, and absolutely, you know, dominate here. Uh, but for some, there's some of these other things where the logistical challenges are much more complex, I think there is some potential for our local uh, our local companies to be able to uh, get it right to establish themselves, uh, especially as the technology uh, frameworks that are required to make these things work improves, and then they can be buying you know a software as a surface piece that does uh, you know whatever it is, whether it's uh, you know there's already been uh, talk about a. Um, uh, a supermarket you can walk into and pick things up the sh- off the shelf here in Auckland and be able to walk out again and you know when you can use facial recognition from Amazon or Microsoft or you know others to uh, uh, to handle that and you don't have to develop all the technology yourself I think there, yeah, there's definitely some opportunities here but it's not, a, it's not an easy one I think one, the though. New Zealand players will get a head start but I think ultimately I suspect that companies like Amazon and Alibaba will just come in and crush them eventually because Amazon just has so much IP and technology around, you know, advanced picking and, you know, all of their, they have this whole operating platform around, you know, instantaneous delivery, which is very hard to do. Um, And that's been their whole thing, you know, from the get go. So, you know, Jeff Bezos has been working on it since 1990 and no one else has. Um, so they just have their IP. It's just you know it's amazing seeing how much of a machine it is and how how smooth the wheels you know hmm. turn hmm. a lot of the time. It's very hard to do. Do they use in in um, Los Angeles like what you're saying? Do they use existing? Would they actually use say UPS or FedEx or no, is it all just have, Amazon? Like straight I, down. They the line? might use them, but my understanding is it's all Amazon. There, they have their whole they have their whole um, you know end to end distribution platform I do see a lot of because I've got an Amazon Prime account as well I do see in the US the deliveries I tend to get the tracking has mostly been with uh, with sort of like UPS or in some cases FedEx and things like that but oh, okay, uh, UPS is probably the the uh, or USPS the, um, the United States Postal Service is, is you know commonly used but yeah there are the, the scenarios where we use Amazon Fresh which yeah you get stuff in two hours then uh, yeah I think for the you know for those things that yeah they definitely geared up with their own uh, um, yeah, their own dis- distribution channels but I know and I think some parts of the US the um, postal service now is starting to do the sort of the opposite of what we got here where you know we only get postal deliveries I think three days a week in New Zealand now um, something like that isn't it three three or three or four days a week I think maybe it's Monday Wednesday and Saturday or some, something along those lines um, you know to most residential addresses but in the US I think you've got people that are that are um, basically think well I can earn some money working on a Sunday and people can get their deliveries quicker rather than you could only get deliveries on a you know on a weekday or a Saturday and a Monday 
now they're getting stuff. Yeah, you can order it. I think on a Saturday and get it uh, get it delivered on a, Cause, on um, a Sunday. I'm sure other companies are copy, but it was Amazon that I think invented like the scan hand or whatever. You know, so like Amazon employees basically have like a, a forearm mounted computer that um, you know is on one arm that leaves the arms free, and then it has kind of a scanner, and then it it's constantly showing the employee you know where they need to be, what they need to be doing, what they need to be picking, and then has like a laser scanner that's kind of you know scanning the things that they're picking up and RFID and that kind of thing. So basically, they're just looking at constant you know it's like a forearm mounted pager that they don't actually have to touch and that fills um, in until they can have a robot to replace yeah, the and, person um, yeah there was it's a, a site that, there was a site yeah. that i remember going on where you know amazon employees unless they're picking at a certain rate per hour you know they get penalized and you know fired and things so there's an amazon site that's actually i think there's a it's like a reddit forum about amazon pick a horror stories and yeah, you know, yeah. people are like peeing in plastic bottles and things <laughs> to try and you know not go meet, below meet, their pick rate and then targets. get fired and stuff you know oh. so it's pretty so stressful but the worst know, case scenario of having a fitbit but like to the next level, yeah <laughs> but i guess you know um on the flip side of it you know it's it's amazon's just they're so on you know their their nth degree of of speed. That's that's why I think it'll be hard for other companies to kind of copy them. But um, I do think Alibaba's probably pretty much there as well. Yeah, yeah, and um, look, there will be competition from China, and it's really interesting to watch what's going on and in China and of course you've got a bit of a, a you know a fight at the moment between different uh, different countries and economies uh, so yeah I'm not I'm not quite sure how how all of that will uh, will pan out but yeah I think the Chinese economy certainly is going to is going to uh, to keep growing and look they've they've got this unfair position or whatever you want to call it and that most of the goods whether it's you know Amazon or eBay Alibaba the goods are coming from China in most cases right so um yeah there's 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 probably some some potential impact there in terms of that you know that longer term uh view although yeah of course Amazon Distribute stuff to local warehouses for that speed of delivery. So uh, you know, in, t- in terms of that aspect of it, yeah, you know, I don't know how much difference it makes. Um, now, on to just a few little bits of uh, product news. Samsung's uh, Note Nine, um, if that's uh, if that's what they call it, is uh, August 9th is uh, which is I think the the US. Uh, date so it might be the um, might be the eighth uh, here I suppose um, when that gets unveiled so uh, not not too not too far off I know we've got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Samsung uh, fans and uh, and users out there and look if if the Note Nine is anything like the uh, Galaxy S nine and S S nine uh, plus uh, then they're probably onto a onto a winner uh, Samsung seem to be putting out pretty good gear at the moment and um, I think they're past uh, hopefully past seeing too many phones go up in uh, flames although there have been a couple of reports recently in the media about some uh, burning phones and things um, other bit of news 
and this one I've just um, just caught in the, la- in the last few weeks, but we didn't have a chance to squeeze it in before, is um, Logitech, who really have dominated, I think, from the perspective of video conferencing uh, kit, even web- webcams, it's, uh, it's generally Logitech or, or Microsoft being the two main brands. Uh, and they've announced something called the R- Rally Camera, and it's um, part of a, um, a broader uh, group of, um, of devices and and software Uh, but it's their first uh, 4k camera for sort of boardrooms and meeting rooms for uh, for video conferencing it's got uh, 15 times uh, optical zoom and that yeah four uh, 4k or ultra high definition um, sensor along with sort of pan tilt zoom that the other cameras have, have had uh, and yeah it looks uh, looks pretty slick and they've also got software uh, going in alongside it which is going to be interesting to test to see how well it works together but uh, the idea is it'll be able to follow the the speaker and we've seen some of this sort of software in the past i've got one of those th- um, are, you, are you talking about things that can actually follow the the person as they talk around like move yeah around? yeah so um, i've got this little handle thing this gimbal thing which yeah. which is which has got that and it works about 50 percent of the time that's that's the problem with most yeah. of this tech right to date it has been it's been imperfect so yeah i'm very curious to, to try out and see how good um you know this next iteration is from uh, from logitech and i think they're going to be making some of that software backwards compatible with some of their uh, existing uh, cameras as well uh, i remember when microsoft re- released the uh the connect i think for the xbox one and you could use it with Skype and I remember uh, trying it out I, I called a friend an Australia photographer and um, Microsoft had done a pretty good job with that software because I remember him saying to me Paul this is as though there's a film crew in the room with you the way it was sort of following me around and you know keeping cool. uh, zoomed in on me he said it looked really really slick and smooth um, so look there's no reason because that was a few years ago that, that was out that Logitech sort of software can't be at that point although I don't know how complex it is when you've got a whole bunch of people in a room and whether it will actually do the pan tilt zoom thing as well or whether it's more just following you within a 4k uh, video frame but uh, you know having that extra high definition would allow them to crop down the image maybe to a, a you know 1080p is probably fine for most uh, video conferences and give a really good um, yeah really really good image so um, seems seems like a good idea CB do you do much on the video conferencing front being sort of backwards and forwards between yeah, you know, New Zealand one of those things that you would think uh, should have been perfectly solved years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Voyager has uh, three offices, four if you include uh, my home in Los Angeles. And um, so yeah, we, we basically just use uh, Skype for business and yeah, Logitech cameras and smart TVs and you know, Intel NUC computers. Yep. Um, and all of our boardrooms. So we have. Um, 65 or 80 inch TVs um, mm-hmm. that look pretty nice but they're only HD so I think 4K would be a nice thing so I'll be maybe looking up the checking out these cameras yeah. but um, yeah because we've got 100 staff spread across almost a third a third a third between Auckland Well and Christchurch we have to have good video conferencing um, you know and get and get together so we have sort of like a weekly and a monthly uh, get together with all the staff crowding into the boardrooms and, and chatting but um, the other thing that uh, I recently invested in is um, 
I have a um, three beam telepresence robots. I don't know whether you've ever heard of those. Oh, yeah. um, basically, it's like an iPad on a Segway that has yes. its own you know docking platform. Um, so what you can do is you can. This is similar you, to the double robotics um, product. Uh, probably, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, effectively, you can sit on your laptop and then beam into one of these telepresence robots, and then the robot wakes up in a remote office, and then you can drive it around, you know, like a Segway, yep. and your face is on the on the iPad, on the screen, yeah, and then you can go and talk to people. <laughs> and uh, it's it's good for me working remotely because. Um, it's a totally different experience kind of wandering around an office and interacting with people yes. than it is, you know, calling someone up on a video conference when they're stuck to their desk. So kind of gives you a remote body. Um, and, yeah, at the Abundance 360 conference, they were pointing out that they really think that there's going to be a massive, um, you know, sort of surge in, uh, you know, advanced versions of this where, you know, you'll be able to put on some kind of AR Headset and maybe even kind of hang in a swing or something, and then you know um, telepresence into you know robot bodies all over the world. So you know a future business that um, you know really seems like it will take off is kind of um, you know beaming into an android body and then going doing something in a warehouse or even going on holiday or visiting your grandparents or you know these kind of things. So um, yeah, it's given me a, a uh, having three beam robots. Um, they're only about two thousand US dollars each. Um, has been an interesting kind of experiment, and and that, and I think it's kind of useful. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a great way to. Like, I'm just thinking of visiting, you know, visiting your granny once every two months to pick up your eleven cent check. Yeah, and, you know, give her a kiss or whatever. But you could actually just park that Android robot in her living room, and then just turn it on every every so often and yeah I told, I told my grandma that she didn't have to send me the 11 cents checks but obviously right. you're so cheap you're still no, need, you're still paying here she's Scottish oh, funny times um now, there's been a bit of uh, information surface on the um online over the last day or two around maybe what's next from Microsoft in terms of a, a dual screen surface device and yeah these things have been talked about yeah Microsoft coming up with some sort of dual screen thing for uh, uh, for years the, the courier was one of the products that a bit of information came out on and uh, um, there have been other concepts that uh, that Microsoft and uh, and others have shared but uh, yeah a bit of infos come on come on uh, line um, around this sort of secret pocketable surface uh, and some leaked emails from uh, from from Microsoft. I'm yeah, I'm not quite so sure about Jewel. I've certainly I've seen um, I can't remember which who, which vendor it was from, but a, a dual screen uh, phone where you've got a phone on either you know screens on either side, and you can you know fold it together to make a really big uh, big screen. Uh, I'm not too sure what Microsoft. Uh, you know, hoping or thinking they can achieve, they've certainly struggled in the consumer space and on the smartphone front. Really, they've you know, pretty much killed off their their Windows you know uh, phone platform. So, yeah, I'm not uh, not quite sure what uh, what could be coming, and uh, you know Sounds how, gimmicky, how, yeah. how practical it could be, and uh, you know what what they would have on it. Um, but I am very interested in sort of. Where, where we will go over the next few years in terms of more portable computing and um, yeah there's there's 
a lot of the smartphones now where you can get a dock or even you know like Huawei you can just plug a cable straight into your into your phone and into uh, a screen and we'll talk about that in the ne- maybe next week or the or the week after just some um, things I've been testing down that front with uh, uh, monitors with you know with a single cable to power your laptop and you know um, all your bits bits and pieces and you can you know plug those in straight into a smartphone there's some wireless variations um, so, yeah, it's kind of curious where Microsoft are looking to uh, looking to go with this. Do either of you have any any thoughts on, uh, on a more mobile future? You, you, you might have seen, you might have already seen this. Maybe this already exists. But is is there any sort of like say if you had a screen on both sides? Are there any of your phone so oh, front phone. and back? Yep. Yeah, front and back of the phone. Are there any sort of sensors instead of having just one little sensor for your camera or two or whatever? Could you get like like a pixelated sensors where you could almost look straight through the phone so it projects an image of what's on the other side? Is so it, people could see you through your phone. So it like, yes. looks like a piece of glass. Yeah, like you look and you can frame people through that piece of glass because you're looking straight through. Wouldn't that be cool? I think you just had a billion dollar idea that we should... You know, I'm a freaking genius. Why did you cut share this, out of, this, share this publicly? Lose, now man. we can't patent it. Well, maybe, in the maybe this is my launch. Maybe <laughs> I've actually already done it. You'd have oh, to have okay. two cameras projecting... The picture onto the opposite screen and a double screen thing, yeah. But and you'd have to have a special screen, so if people are looking from a different angle, mm. then at that angle, it's still going to look. True, it's going to correct. That's too hard. But. You know where I got the idea from though was Star Wars. You know, you know those those hovercrafts and the, the the original first Star Wars one, Episode Three, whatever it is. Hovercraft. Yeah, the hovercraft thing. It's got like all it had was like a mirror to reflect what the sand was doing. Oh, I think that okay. was the trick that they I used. I can't remember that. I thought that was genius back then in '77. Mm. So. It's not really an original idea, is it? No, it's just... I'll keep know, trying. Everyone keeps stealing. <laughs> I um, think we will end up with phones that are basically transparent pieces of glass, though. That's, mm. I think that's where it'll, you know... Yeah. Kind of end up. Maybe contacts. Yeah. Um, now, two gadgets I want to mention uh, as well. Motorola, we've been looking at trying out some of their phones over the past few weeks. Uh, we've been looking at the Moto G6 uh, Plus... We've been passing it around here today. Um, looks like a pretty... And, and look, this seems to be the constant story. I keep getting sent all these mid-range and low-range phones, and all of them just look look really good. And, you know, Motorola are the latest to, uh, to send something through. Um, the G6 Plus, I think, is $579, and there's a couple of lower-price variations, one for $479, one for $379. Um, but in terms of the, just the specifications and so on, these are... Um, uh, a pretty impressive CB. What was your comment? I think you were you were well, looking so the, at the the, uh, G, the, the, the Moto, Moto E5, which is about e- two hundred and fifty bucks or something. Yeah, I mean the Moto E5. Yeah, two hundred fifty dollars, and it looks like an iPhone Seven Plus to me um, from a couple of years ago. Yeah, and um, you know, dual cameras, um, nice design. Uh, I mean, phones are basically just big square rectangles of full-on screen now, aren't they? There's not, there's not a lot of differences. I mean, phones used to have all kinds of differences, but now it's just big, big flat black piece of glass, button on, you know, a couple of buttons, and then that's about it. Um, so, yeah, the difference between you know iPhones and and um, Android devices is shrunken a lot. They all look pretty similar, but um, yeah, I'm amazed for two hundred fifty dollars. It's it's you know. I think I said 10 or 20 times what an original iPhone was, you know. 
in terms of capabilities. Yeah, yeah. I would I would think so easily. And yeah, the, I mean, for me, the there there are a few differentiators. The camera is the one I'm I'm usually mo- you know interested in the most. There's obviously you know processing power, all those sort of things on a bit of a scale. But you know, you buy what's two hundred fifty dollars today, and you know it'll be as powerful as as what was probably a thousand dollars three years ago, sort of thing. One year ago, I think. Um, it's uh, as you know, it's 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 moving it's moving pretty quickly, and yeah, what you can do on one of those low end phones is um, is is enough for certainly in you know business type scenarios and so on in terms of you know what device do you give to um, you know if you've got a you know you need a whole whole fleet of phones for your staff then you know, you, you don't necessarily have to get a thousand or two thousand dollar you know phone uh, if you're just looking at, at ticking off the the basic sort of you know requirements that that people need of course sometimes it's delivering what people want and uh, you know that can be an expensive challenge within a within a business, uh, especially you know now we see a, a lot less of those uh, subsidies coming through from uh, from telcos as the, uh, the you know the prices for uh, for mobile plans and so on has uh, has come down. Um, so yeah, the the Moto G six um, plus and and the E five those were those um, two two handsets um the other gadget i've been uh trying out and uh, i guess i've had a, a long history trying out the products from uh ring from uh the first one that i picked up in the u.s quite a few years ago with the ring doorbell and they now use that term ring um in a slightly different sense so ring initially to me was that it's a doorbell that you hit the button and it and it rings as a video doorbell but um their brand has sort of expanded out and they refer to a ring of security around your home um they did there yeah it's quite clever um the ring spotlight cam is, is one of their newer newest products and the one uh, that they've sent across is the battery powered one so just like their doorbells you can just hook it you just you know attach it to wherever you wherever you want that um, you know surveillance coverage you don't have to worry about all the wiring up that you you do with um, you know a, a lot of products in the in the market um, and of course there are some other uh, cameras that are uh, you know, purely uh, battery based there's the, the Arlo uh, cameras that are quite uh, popular that are uh, battery based um, but the spotlight cam also has LED spotlights so you know someone's moving around on your property in the dark it's you know it's going to put on a not quite a floodlight but it's uh, it's reasonably does, does it re- does, like, does it re- reasonably bright no it, no it's, more, it's just a, it's a sensor light yeah um, but particularly in scenarios where you're renting or you just want something easy to put up you know it's so quick and easy you just you know you get on a ladder and and screw it up in a, in a good spot and it works really well and um yeah we just moved into a new uh new house in the last few weeks and the first thing i did even before we sort of moved in uh was having had a, a burglary while, while we were uh you know not in a, another house that we uh that, that we had um a couple of couple of years back and didn't didn't leave the ring uh, doorbell operating and then got burgled uh learned the lesson there and uh first thing we did was put in a um an LTE connection in the house before the fixed internet had got uh, hooked up and then attached one of these by the by the doorway so we could see if anyone was sort of coming coming and going um, and yeah worked worked pretty well 
yeah, I think they say it gives about a it, it can handle about a thousand events, so a thousand uh, movement situations where lights come on and it'll record the video um, on a single battery. But it's got space in it, so you can buy a second battery and put that in, so you can have double the battery life. And they've got another version you can have wired up. Um, so these so are just wireless devices that are connected within a network yeah and then they connect onto wi-fi and then you can use your app so i'll get a you know i'll get alerts on my phone um in fact i've just i've got got one in the last few minutes from um uh from one of my ring devices and that tells me around um you know a movement type uh, action and yeah it's um that's quite clever. I think it, it's it's a pretty smart model that Ring have taken. I think with most of these technologies, none of them are absolutely perfect. So in some cases, you'll have issues with Wi-Fi coverage. Uh, other times, it can take a little while for video to come up, or from time to time, you'll you'll click through and it's like, where's the video? And it, it, it doesn't come up. Um, but yeah, I've spent a fair bit of time using that, and also the Nest, um, the Nest products or Nest Protect products, uh, which there, Go- Google owns. Um, Ring has now been owned by Amazon who bought them a few months ago for a billion dollars are there any um, are there any drones that can form part of a security system like autonomous flying drones within probably probably in the future I don't think anyone's sort of done that just another yet, good idea perhaps. constantly good, charging good, and you know yeah like a flight have, have something that sits itself. on your roof and as soon as there's yeah, some like dodgy activity it goes in there and sort of you know scares somebody off and, and follows them yeah. down the street yeah fa- facial recognition but it goes back to a charging base you know like those vacuum cleaners that just they go back to if base if you're a charge. burglar you just make sure you've got a big broom so you can knock it out of the <laughs> air or something you can throw at it I suppose throw your double sided I you saw that yeah. viral video of uh, I think it was the San Francisco Fire Department using a a flamethrower yeah, mounted on a drone to cool. burn some stuff off some power lines. Was that real though? Did they? Yeah, that was that, real. Yeah. That looked way yeah. too freaky. No, that was the fire department. That was yeah. amazing. Flamethrowing yeah. drone. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of cool, especially when it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah that, that could be a good part of home security. Yeah. Now, um, CB, what's the what's the update on Voyager? It's been yeah, a little while since we've we've chatted, so um, yeah, maybe you can fill us in. You've obviously shared yeah, a few little so, bits and pieces um, during the show. I, I suppose Voyager is probably New Zealand's sixth largest internet company now. I think um, uh, there's there's about a hundred companies that sell internet, but you know probably the lower ninety only are, you know one percent combined or less. Um, so you've got your Spark, your Vodafone, your um, you know, Vocus Group, uh, Two Degrees, Trust Power, and then I think it would probably be us. Hundred um, percent New Zealand owned by myself. Uh, yeah, hundred staff. We were New Zealand's uh, fastest growing company in 2014, um, and uh, I started the company off by doing cloud services. So initially bought um, First Domains, Net24, uh, Register Direct. Um, and rolled together about 10 hosting companies and then started getting into um, you know broadband when the ultra-fast broadband um, network came along and uh, that was sort of an opportunity. What so, are, uh, and, and then, yeah, last year we bought Actrix, yep. which was New Zealand's first ISP and actually the fifth, the first company in New Zealand to sell internet commercially, but also the fifth in the world, apparently. Wow. Um, so they started selling internet in New Zealand in 1989, which was... 
before web browsers really? or anything yeah back when it was just um you know kind of telnet and i didn't realize uh, they were kind of they were uh, yeah offering internet services that early that's impressive yeah, yeah yeah so the direct connection to waikato so that was a that was kind of a proud moment for me i actually had tried to buy actrix back in the day when i used to own orcon and failed so you know kind of getting it um you know, with Voyager was was nice. Uh, so, yeah, we now have about a yeah one one percent plus market share of broadband connections in New Zealand. Um, but we grew fifty percent last year. So um, turnover went from twenty million last year to thirty million this year. Um, and yeah, we're just in the process of kind of merging all of the brands, which has been a long, a long and difficult process because there's probably ten brands that we had. So we we had you know kind of ten different billing systems and things, and we've now we're now down to four billing systems. And then once we get down to one billing system, um, we actually uh, so our first domains brand is about twenty percent market share of domain names in New Zealand. So we register over a hundred hundred thousand domain names. So. You know, one in five people in New Zealand that have a domain name are a customer of ours, but not of the Voyager brand, of the First Domains brand. And one in five New Zealand businesses is a customer, but because the billing, because our billing systems haven't been merged, we haven't been able to kind of cross-sell. So once our billing system project is completed, um, the end of this year at the latest, then we'll be able to do things like sell a fibre broadband connection to a First Domains customer. Um, so, uh, you know, 30,000 new customers, 30,000 people that we already send invoices to at the moment we can't cross sell all of our products to so um my in a best case scenario my hope is that we'll be able to double the size of the company um in the next one or two years just by uh you know selling broadband to domain name customers and selling domain names to you know broadband customers and that kind of thing and just filling out our our product set um we also bought a company called conversant which does uh you know pabx cloud systems so kind of um a mid-level uh, phone system somewhere between Skype and uh, you know Microsoft Skype for Business or Link as it used to be called. Um, so if you're a small business and you want you know a basic phone system that has time of day routing, deals with multiple employees, um, you know you can answer phone on you know answer calls on your cell phone, has things like press one for sales, press two for this, or it's the weekend. Um, you know call recording all that kind of stuff we can do a phone system in the cloud for sort of starting from 10 bucks a month and up Um, and because it's all completely software defined we can provision really rapidly and um, you know offer really really good pricing so um, finishing that conversant product and rolling it out to our custom base is our our sort of um, you know key goal for the next year I suppose um, how hard is it bringing all the technologies together when you're it's acquire, quite hard acquire yeah, it's a quite company because we know Vodafone has sort of yeah, been uh, had, had a few challenges with, with uh, some of their acquisitions over yeah, the years so there was the an years. interesting there was an interesting tale years ago when I owned Orcon I um I was either going to buy iHug or sell Orcon and I tried to buy iHug and then Vodafone ended up getting it and I think I offered $39 million for iHug and, and Vodafone offered $41 million for iHug and then I think they got it well they did get it um, but then the rumour goes and I, I'm not 100% sure of this but I've heard it from different sources is that once Vodafone had paid $41 million to iHug they went to their billing provider which was at that stage I think it was IBM and said okay can you now integrate 
um, you know, Vodafone, then, you know, Telstra Clear and IHAG and put us all on one platform and do all these billing changes. And then IBM said, yeah, that'll be about $45 million. Here's the quote. So the price for doing the billing system integration for IHAG was more than the cost of IHAG. And so even today, my understanding is that um, although you always get a Vodafone invoice, you get a, you know, the it's just the IHAG billing system that's had a Vodafone letterhead put on it. And so, you know, if you're a Vodafone customer, you may actually be kind of on the IHUG billing system or the Telstra Clear billing system or the Vodafone billing system or the Saturn billing system. And so they have the same problem where, you know, you can't buy this service in Wellington or you can buy that or you have to be migrated from one thing to another. And then it just causes endless, you know, customer frustration and, you know, um, double handling and, you internal, know, issues with credits and internal strife and, yeah. and um, you know, manual processing and problems with credits and that kind of thing. So I'm sure that they would love to, you know, do the same thing we have. And it's, it's I'm probably uh, about three or four million dollars over budget and, <laughs> um, you know, three years later than I would like to have been in terms of getting rid of our billing systems. But, um this is actually the first month that uh, Voyager and Net24 will be billed on our new billing system and um, hopefully in a couple of months conversant. So we are getting there and the billing system that we've gone with, we've kind of bedded in and it's all it's all there and being used. So um, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's... It's been a big... It's been a big... Well, I mean, we've, we've had fantastic growth. And as I say, we were the fastest growing company in New Zealand in 2014. We did 1,400% growth in a 24-month period. So we went from half a million dollars in revenue to $12 million in revenue over 24 months. Um, if you could have kept that up, which Steve, is awesome. you'd, you'd, uh, you'd almost be a billion-dollar business by now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, 50% last year was still, still adequate. Exactly. Um, but yeah, if we hadn't been hamstrung by... Uh, just having a billing system that wasn't working for us and we would have gone a lot further. But I think that telco billing is one of the hardest types of billing in the world because, you know, normally if you're, say, a building supply company or a lawyer or something, you might say, okay, we've done this job for someone, here's a single line item for $3,000 and you put it in zero and then they pay or they don't pay. If you're an internet service provider, you know, you might send someone a $6 bill, that $6 might be 601 cent calls to, you know, Wellington or something. So you end up sending, you end up generating a, you know, a 15 page PDF to collect six dollars uh, and then you've got to do that automatedly and you've also then got to provide you know a portal for the customer to log in a portal for the customer to manage their own services otherwise it just it doesn't make any sense so you know telcos and service providers have to do often lots and lots and lots of tiny one cent two cent you know tiny little line items um, that other companies just don't have to do and in order to make that cost effective then you have to have all these automated collection methods and, and mm. that kind of thing so we're kind of we're kind of there, but uh, yeah, it's probably the least fav my least favourite part of running a telco, <laughs> um, but necessary obviously. So what what uh, what do you enjoy most? Um, I, I, yeah, I am. A, I didn't I didn't initially get into the telco industry to get into technology, but obviously I've now been doing technology for twenty years, and so I am a technologist. Um, I think the the exciting thing is just that. Um, things keep evolving and and changing and uh, you know while it may be that um, you know the change from DSL to fiber is kind of the last one that we do uh, in our lifetimes because fiber should be 
you know the end the end game there are things like um you know 5g coming which will allow potentially one to ten gigabits you know wirelessly and then that's a whole different ball game and then we've also got things like uh you know internet security which is becoming you know more and more of a risk uh you know to businesses and individuals so i think um and then there's things like you know home security products and uh internet of things and so i think um you know we there's no doubt in my mind that we would be run out of business and die if we just did the same things that we're doing um but every year that i've run a telco since i was you know 20 years old i've been running not Voyager, obviously, but Orcon before Voyager. Um, so I've kind of been involved in the telecommunications industry for 20-odd years, and there seems to always be something. You know, you started. I started at 14.4 dial-up, then it was 33.6K, then it was 56K, then it was which 56K, then it was 128K DSL, then it was 256, then it was blah, then it was... And so, you know... Um, yeah, there's just always something. It amazes me how much more data we seem to be able to cram into the same airwaves and the same copper and the same fibre um, continually year after year after year. It kind of astounds me. You yeah, do you think there's going to be some sort of smoothing off of that curve? Though? Like, you know, we look at smartphone innovation. There was a you know, whole period there where every year was sort of so exciting and it's, uh, um, you know, it, it smoothed off a bit, right? We don't, we don't see such a steep innovation curve. Uh, we've seen the, you know, the, the the processor, sort of Moore's law, you know, not not becoming, um, you know, yeah. Quite, well, I quite suppose um, the past, you know, there must so. be some sort of physical limit limit, uh, you know, to to data rates, although they don't seem to be being reached. Um, but you've got things like, uh, you know, scientists are now transmitting, you know, basic, very slow amounts of data through quantum entanglement. So, you know, if you have two um, subatomic particles and you quantumly entangle them, you can then separate those particles by great distances. And if you change the state of one, it changes the state of the other remotely. So you can then use that in theory as a um, an instantaneous data transmission um, and, and it's completely encrypted. Um, so, you know, there's rumours that the CIA and things will be will be using data transmission without um, needing submarine cables or anything by using quantumly entangled sub- subatomic particles. And, of course, we're now starting to see, um, you know, real-world, uh, you know, semi-usable quantum computers coming online. And so I think, you know, Google's just made a 14-bit qubit computer or something. But they're talking about 2018, 2019 as being the year when we actually have a quantum computer that executes a calculation that can't be done by a traditional computer. And if that happens, of course, you know, you may have things like, um, you know, 256-bit encryption becomes semi-irrelevant because yeah, it can do, be cracked. it does become quite challenging be from a security and, you know, point of view when you can and, crack and, everything with a quantum and, computer. Uh, right? minutes. So, um, yeah. I mean, who knows? But I can certainly say that, uh, you know, it's my firm belief that we're going to see more change in the next decade than we've seen in the previous decade or maybe the previous two decades. I mean, in my mind, yes, um, you know, we're having these cool web apps and we're having, you know, things like Uber that are enabled through, you know, location, data, uh, you know, a phone in everyone's hand. That's sort of starting to come online. 
but really the key innovation I think of the last decade and I'm sure we'll kind of, kind of agree is is the is the smartphone you know 2007 iPhone was released that was everyone knew when they saw Steve Jobs on that stage that the world was going to change and it has but by and large most of the change has kind of been you know cell phone uh, you know driven I think even things like Facebook it's all you know that mobile use but in the next 10 years I think we're really going to see uh, you know medicine artificial intelligence uh, you know robotics all these kind of other areas also come up to speed which is going to be tremendously interesting yeah um, some of so those areas certainly seem to be taking a, a little bit longer than um um, I don't. Some of us would have would have thought, but uh, yeah, certainly the the next decade should be enough to see some pretty impressive innovation and um, um, yeah, new new things that have are real game changers, right? Yeah. Well, if you think about ten years ago, we didn't have smartphones. It's almost impossible to even remember what that was like. And I'm sure we'll be sitting in here in ten years. Uh, hopefully, we will thinking, "Wow, I can't even believe ten years ago how basic it was." Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Bring it on. All right. Sounds like fun, though, eh? Yeah. So are we, we going to be able to talk about this uh, GFC times four, though, or what? Are we yeah, out of time? Well, we, we, might, we might be run, running, out of, uh, running out of time for that, so oh, um, that might have to be another, uh, All right. another episode. Uh, okay. well, we can come back. I can come back. That so like um, so may, maybe that's, that's one for, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll take that uh, for your Definitely. podcast, Darcy. Yeah. Um, although, yeah, always happy to join in the, uh, the discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, Hopefully by then I'll have a, um, you know, a flame-throwing drone and a um, double-sided uh, glass iPhone to show y'all. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, well, that sort of really wraps us up for this episode. So thanks, guys, for coming in. Um, Pleasure as always. Where do, where do we track you down online, CB? You're pretty, you're pretty easy lucky, to find, I'm aren't you? I'm lucky to have a unique name spelled S-E-E-B-Y. And so you can find me at CB on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, pretty much any platform. Excellent, excellent. That's good. And um, Darcy, where do we find you and the the podcast? Yeah. I think Podcast NZ is the place to find the podcast. That's, Absolutely, that, that's podcast. nice and easy. So New Zealand Everyday Investor. Yeah, I did it the other day. So NZ Everyday Investor, just Google that; it comes up straight up right there. You can also find me at angero.co.nz. Or if you ask my five year old how to find me, just spell my name. It's D A D D Y, and then you'll find me, according to him. <laughs> Don't go searching for daddy too much on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Not in conjunction with other terms anyway. All right. Well, um, anyone can find, you guys can find me online, uh, Paul Spain. And yeah, I'm on a few social networks and under that, welcome to connect with me on uh, on LinkedIn. If you if you do that, always nice to have a little note mentioning that uh, that you're listening to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, but yeah, that's that's us for this week. Uh, we've got a few other interesting uh, guests lined up uh, over the next few weeks uh, before later on in the month when I'm uh, I'm due to head to the US and um, still pondering how we're going to schedule some guests while I'm away uh, but we'll uh, we'll figure that out the next couple of weeks or so so yeah thanks everyone for listening in we'll catch you again next week see ya the New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology proactive and strategic IT